Welcome to the Modern Masculinity Podcast, where we delve into the depths of what it means to be a man in today's world, and we explore the real-life challenges and triumphs that you and I face every single day. My name is Hector Santi Esteban, and I come with no answers, only questions for some of the most wise, insightful, and grounded men that I know. So get settled in. You're listening to Modern Masculinity. Fellas, what's going on? I hope this episode, as always, finds you well. And my goal with all of these conversations is that it, it leaves you better than when it found you. And I say it again, but I'll, I want to reiterate it because it's real. And I'm honored and, and humbled and blessed that you would take the time to, to allow me to be a part of your journey because equally you are, are a part of mine. And, and so I appreciate you being here. Today's episode is a, an extremely personal one, if not just because the guest has been someone who has really been there for me in, in some of the, frankly, most challenging times of my life and marriage. And just a guy who went through the jungle, went through the forest, and is then willing to turn around and to help other guys like me who were struggling to find their way. To, to help them to do that. And today's episode is with Brent Perkins. And he is a, a dear friend and also a recently published author. And the book talks about delusions. And it, and, it, and it gets into how so many of us are delusional, right? And the crazy part about being delusional is that you don't know. You're not aware of it. That's inherently what it means and, and, and how... So many men's, so many lives are being wrecked because men are delusional about what's going on to them, for them, around them. And so I, I, would, I just want to encourage you to go get the book because it's a, it's a fantastic read. And, and we only dip into some of the wisdom that he's been able to put into this book. But I know it's going to be an exciting conversation and I'm excited for you to get into it. So enough of me, y'all. Let's get into today's episode with Brent Perkins. Brent, welcome to the Modern Masculinity Podcast. Thanks for being here, man. Yeah, excited. Thank you. Yeah, I'm nervous, if I can be frank. If I'm feeling all the sensations that are going on in my body right now, I'm very nervous. Not for any other fact than I don't know where this conversation is going to go. And I have had some very real conversations over the last couple of months, and you've been there for me in a really foundational way. And so these conversations tend to get transparent and deep sometimes. And so I think that's just what I'm feeling here. But I'm going to throw it to you. We always start by getting to know the guests through what they're going through. The book just came out. You mentioned that family life is thriving, some things with the kids, like the relationships there are building. There's so many things that are going well for you, but what's still something that you're challenged with or struggling with right now as a man? Yeah, family's always, there's always a struggle to some degree, especially when you've got a divorced situation where you're trying to balance co-parenting. That always comes with this ups and downs. <laughs> and that's fluid constantly. I've still been struggling with some things around business. Because as you said, I look back and it's like in the last eight months, I went from not having any clue I was going to write a book to writing a book, launching it, recording the Audible. Like, holy cow, that was a big feat. But it's still like, what's next? And I've been working through some of those pieces and I know it's normal. And yet there's still imposter syndrome. There's still, how do I sit down and make space for all these new things? I've never done any of these things before. 
never not had a job and a company to go to for 20 years. So it's all new and it's all frightening and exciting at the same time. And Yeah, I think it speaks to a much bigger problem, challenge, it's probably a better word, that a lot of men seem to face that we've talked about on the show, and that is what to do with your life in its simplest sense. But previously, and and I point to a lot of previous generations because I think it at least creates some contrast or a frame through which to view where we're at now. There was choices, but they were limited choices. And the successful ones or the ones of note were you know, doctor, lawyer, whatever it was. But now men specifically are faced with this Baskin-Robbins amount of choices and they sit there paralyzed. The same way I do when I go to Cold Stone and I'm like, all these flavors look good. How do I know if that's the right one? And what if I choose the wrong one? Because I'm notorious to do that. And my wife always tells me, she's like, you picked that one last time and you didn't like it. And I don't seem to remember it. And I also seem to also keep making that same choice and picking the wrong flavor again. And so is that something that you're running into in the sense of, is it a choice of too many options? What do you feel is the dilemma or challenge, if you will? I think it's not too many choices. It's a little bit of mental masturbation that we do to ourselves. And I think it can be summed up in a really interesting quote by Pablo Picasso, which I didn't expect to share with you here today. But I get this question a lot by a lot of men too, which is, I got to find my purpose. I mean, I hear that almost every day. And Picasso's quote is so interesting. It's the meaning of life is to find your gift. Your purpose in life is to give it away. And when we really think about what does it mean in our lives, there is no flavor to choose from. Your gifts are your gifts. I mean, you clearly have a gift of being able to speak with other humans, pull stories out of them, share them with the world. That's part of your gift. How would you flavor that if you were an ice cream? You can't, but you're also already giving that gift away. So you're doing it. Maybe you don't realize it. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I think that this is a big part of that and me fueling my purpose, because even if this was not part of a job or there was no money or it was not some sort of enterprise type of thing that I would still want to have these kinds of conversations and talk about these sorts of things. And so a challenge that I see or that I know that I've gone through is that, and I think you've experienced similar things, is that so much of our purpose is wrapped up in other people. And so much of our purpose is given to the roles that we identify with. And you and I, whether it's as a partner or a father or all these kinds of things, so much so to where we lose sight of what we actually want. And that was something I know that I've encountered recently where I've had to sit, even yesterday, I had the day to myself, the kids were with grandma and my wife was out of town and I was like, what do I want to do? And I really had to think about if I could just do it for me, what would I want to do? And I had to like sit and reflect and I made a list. And it was a really interesting thing because those things were hidden behind, well, should I clean the house? Like all these other roles that I was playing as opposed to just trying to find what it is for me. I could see a lot of men doing that. I'm, I'm supposed to have a family. I'm supposed to provide like all these supposed to kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, none of those are real, right? And actually, very few of them are put on us by society. They're put on us by ourselves. For me, what you said earlier about how you were describing purpose just a second ago isn't the way purpose means for me in my life. What you were touching on and how I frame my own feelings around that are self-worth. And purpose is different than self-worth for me in my life. If we go back to what Picasso said, and if we all have the same purpose, and that's to share our gifts, then it's really finding and stepping into and owning and being comfortable with our self-worth. Because from there, we find out what those gifts are, right? 
when we trust ourselves, when we love ourselves, when we can actually give ourselves permission to go deep, look inside, see what's there and not shame ourselves or should ourselves or stuff it away because maybe we're just not quite good enough or we haven't honed it yet and it's embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. Your book opens with one of the, and perhaps it was very prescient to me, but it was just such a strong example of waking up to this, right? And I think that the biggest thing that I took from it was that I would imagine many of us are living in a delusion or we are habitually delusional. I'm someone who loves the facts and loves my reality and my research. And I come to my arguments with my bullets and I've got all my things only to realize that it was all a delusion. (laughs) right? That my perceptions of things were just that, my perceptions and whether it's good or bad, that a lot of times they were wrapped and shrouded in things that I weren't even aware of. I'd imagine that the delusion that I was in was that the blame was placed on somebody else or that they were the problem or Mm. that what I was doing was actually helping or that I was fixing and solving these things. And so how does that play into you? And is there a way for guys to even wake up to that without getting smacked in the face by someone? So what made you feel like that was a delusion or at what point did you realize it was a delusion? Well, well, for me, I realized that the way that I was coming to the relationship was creating a frame or a lens through which I was basing my truth out of. Hmm. And that because I was so right about things all the time and I'm all about my facts and what actually happened, that I was so convinced that my version of reality was objective truth was objectively true. And thus, the things that I was doing was actually helping and the things that they were doing were actually hurting. When I took myself out of that frame and realized that even my truest intentions, because for me, so much of it was like, well, the intent has to carry a lot of weight and perhaps it has some weight, but it also is not the determinant either. Mm. And so to all of a sudden remove that frame and have a fully objective view pulled me out of it. And then I had to have some faith in things because when I shifted my own actions and how I was coming to the relationship, everything shifted. And I literally felt like I was in a Twilight Zone episode. I literally felt like I was living in an alternate reality. And the only thing I changed was my frame. I pulled myself out of that delusion and came to it from a totally different place. So yeah, yeah, not an uncommon experience or route to have taken and not dissimilar from my own. In terms of how the world looks at delusions, which are really these kind of negative, false, almost psychotic descriptions of something that just doesn't exist, right? That's society's definition of delusions. I don't think it was a delusion for you in that context, because at that time, from everything you understood to be true, that's what it was. That was how the experience felt to you. And that can't in itself be delusional according to the traditional definition. But this is exactly what and why I wrote this book. Because for me, there's arguably no universal truths. Okay, there might be one or two. But without debating that sort of existential abnormality, for 99% of what we deal with, there's no universal truths. There's your truths. There's Hector's truths. There's Brent's truths. There's Jane's truths. And a truth is a fact layered with belief on top. And there's not a lot of facts in this world either. There's some. And then we add our belief on whether it's religious or whether it's situational or whether it's coming from our heritage and passed down through the generations of our family or cultural. There's a lot of different things that influence our beliefs, but we layer them on top of a fact we've heard or know about. And now we have a truth, but it's ours. Like it's my truth, right? 
And we all do not share the same truths in life. That's why we have debates. That's why we like different political candidates and religions and all sorts of different things, right? And what's interesting is that you might hold a truth today or like you did before that you were calling delusional. And today you hold a wholly different truth in your body as a human being. Does that make that experience any less real for you than it was before? I argue no. It is what it is or was. And now it's just the past, right? So it's just a story. You're just modifying a story, period. So this is where I took and had a little bit of fun writing this book. And the title is Paper Cuts, The Art of Self-Delusion. And what I built a framework for is that, you know, Einstein said, this world is an illusion, albeit a persistent one. And what he meant was reality doesn't really exist in a singular format. We might go to dinner and we both have the same forks and there's plates, but what's about to happen between the waiter interacting with us, the party next to us, the food coming out, the smells, the flavors, the taste, all these things interacting, that's the illusion part because they're all there, but how we interpret them, how they feel for us, they're totally different for you than they are for me. So my truths are influencing the experience I'm having with this quote reality, which is just an illusion. So how I feel about it, the story I tell myself, how I remember it, the feelings I have around it, they're really a delusion. And this is where we get to have some fun with this. Because how I felt in the moment, my current truths, they built a story or a delusion. I may walk away a year later. I end up liking a certain kind of food I hated that day. Maybe I hated oysters before. They were on my plate. They were disgusting. Two years later, somebody introduced me to them. I had them in a different way. And now I love oysters. Did my story change? Was I delusional? Did our dinner not happen? Of course it did. Mm. So when I talk about and discuss the art of self-delusion, it's that in any given moment, how we are interpreting the experience we're in, the illusion, this reality, that's the delusion. And we get to choose. Because you can choose that, hey, based on my current truth, I'm sticking with it. I'm keeping a singular line. This is the only way it can be. But what happened for you in the story you were telling me earlier? Like you opened yourself up and something shifted. You're like, oh, shit, my truth might be shifting right now. Well, I think that that's been so much of that. We got a chance to meet at a Front Row Dad live event about almost a year ago, I guess about nine months ago or so. And so much since then has been about peeling off this programming. It feels like a programming, but then it feels like a layer that you're literally shedding off. And there was a variety of them. One was the machismo Mexican guy kind of thing that was there that I didn't even realize that I had adopted those beliefs. And I think that part of the delusion is that we're not even aware that this programming is running. It's like a virus on our computer that when you pull up your programs, you don't even see it on there. It doesn't even register as something that's running, but it's this undoing. And there was a part of me in the middle of the process where I was like, I don't know what is me and I don't know what is this programming anymore. Mm. Because there was so much shedding so quickly that it was really destabilizing for a while because I was sitting there trying to figure out, am I doing this for me or is this a certain programming that I had identified? And so your book, as I'm going on, one of the next chapters is like waking up and finding reality. And it's like so much of those things, at least what I was gathering, which I already knew, is like that I am root of my challenges and in that also the solution. I'm also the problem, but I'm also the solution. And it's a little unnerving at first, but it's also empowering in its entirety. Yeah. There's a lot of conversations in the world about having agency. 
And I believe all of us know at our core that we have agency over ourselves. I don't think we understand what that really means, like the depth to it. That agency means that we literally get to choose everything from what we like to how we react to the feelings that are tied to our emotions, the expression of our emotions, to every minute thought, most of which we just relegate to our automatic programming. But thousands of times a day, we have agency all the time. I think you're speaking to and what I tried to tease out in this And really, my hope was to give permission because that's what I needed in my life. I needed permission to explore these things. And I think you found that for yourself. At least that's how I feel about your journey today is that you've given yourself permission to explore, right? Uh, I was just grasping for any rope that I could. And part of it, if I'm being honest, is like so much of this journey has been letting go of other people's expectations. And perhaps that's my own personal journey where I cared so much about what other people thought, but I also wasn't aware about how much people... It was so embedded. But I think about who my mom is, and I love her to death, but she had a comment for everything, like literally a comment for everything. And so I didn't even realize, like as I was getting changed to go pick up the kids from her house, like I'm sitting there thinking and I'm putting on clothes and I'm like, oh, she's going to say something about this shirt. I knew that months ago I would have changed my shirt so that I didn't have to deal with whatever, but I wanted to wear the shirt, you know? And of course she said something. I reveled in the fact that I gave her a little jab back about it, but that I was able to not be beholden to that programming anymore. And I think that for some people it's their parents or it's their partner or whatever it is, but in caring about what they think actually made a lot of the problems worse in relationships and that giving your agency to other people actually does not do what you think it's going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, first of all, that's impossible to do. I definitely had those thoughts and felt like that for most of my life too. And what you're really doing is you're giving away your ability to choose for yourself. The power that arguably is the only gift that we all share, no matter your race, no matter your gender, no matter who you are, we all have agency equally. Nobody can take that from you. Viktor Frankl probably got the most epic story about this in the book he wrote, Man, Man's Search for Meaning. The Germans could not take away his agency, couldn't take away how he thought, period. Yeah. You know? You mentioned in the book, Preston Smiles, who made a big impact on me at the retreat. And maybe it was the same retreat, maybe it was another one. But there's a quote that you quoted in there from that I underlined that was something to the effect of, we're responsible for our experience. I think it says we can choose the experience of fear, doubt, and blame, or we can choose the experience of a new perspective. And I think that agency, right, that choice, not enough people realize they have it, you know. And I think that that was something that I'm still waking up to. That is a choice, and it's not beholden to circumstances or people or whatever. Yes. And what I found is that as we start to give ourselves permission to explore and really believe and honor the agency we do have, we don't get to see the choices that our agency affords us until we do two things. And it's that we show up and surrender, that we are here in the present moment without expectations and assumptions. Because until we do that, we can't see that there's a different perspective. We can't see that there's a thousand choices in front of us on how we're going to interpret the experience that's right at our feet. 
You said something that the book is not prescriptive. And I don't think you ever said like, this is how you have to do it or this is how you're supposed to do it. But I did come away at least feeling like there were tools or methodologies and you didn't get into them very much in the book, but you sprinkled in some things that that way somebody doesn't read it and come away going, well, that's great. I feel terrible about where I'm at in my life, but they don't have anything to do about it. I really felt that in the midst of some of these great stories that you shared, that there was also some practical things that if guys are going, okay, like I'm ready that they could do. Another thing that I underlined in there was this analogy of the 1% thing of like getting 1% better. And, and I think a lot of people think about it with regards to business or sales or money or whatever it is, but I liken it to a relationship or your mental health or whatever it is. And so I'd love for you to just share even your own systems or methodologies. How are you continually staying in the upward trajectory as opposed to the downward trajectory? And I'm sure that it wavers at times, but what are things that you're doing or what are practices that you found have been helpful or foundational for that journey? Yeah, for me, it's rituals. And those rituals look like different things in different areas. But the foundational rituals that have anchored my journey in almost two years has been some sort of morning ritual. It's usually breath work, sometimes mindfulness, although that's woven into breath work and meditation. And I do my best, although frankly, it happens probably around 50% of the time to have a 10 to 15 minute afternoon meditation as well too, just to reground ourselves recenter myself. But having that ritual, especially starting the day that way, game-changing. And I was just talking with another friend about this. You know, there's a reason there are either four or five timeouts per half in a basketball game. Everybody needs to either take a breather to disrupt whatever is happening currently in the game or in life, even if it's two minutes, to focus on your breath. Why don't we give ourselves that? I mean, some of us do, but in general, we don't do that. We don't go away going, hey, what was my stats today? Did I use all eight timeouts that I had or all 10 timeouts that I had? Shit, I used one. Oh, why? They're free. No one's going to do anything if you take two minutes and you just breathe. Well, I know for me, I've rationalized away that the importance of it, right? And for me, this morning, I did get up early before the kid and got that time and thankfully, because when I woke up, literally shit hit the fan, the dog shit all over the, like, it was just, it was bad. And the kids are their normal selves in the morning. And I'm just grateful that I had that presence. You know, I felt myself in the moment being like, thankfully you got up and did your breath work because here's where it's being utilized and leveraged. And there's been times where I sleep in or whatever, and the kids wake me up and you don't get that time. And my fuse is just shorter. And I can feel it. It's a tangible feeling oh, yeah. and that I think some people, they go, well, what does it matter? What is the real effects or impacts? Like for me, I can viscerally feel those. I'm with you. I'm quicker to snap. I am quicker to move away from what I work really hard on, which is showing up and surrender. That surrender piece, gone instantaneously when I don't get my rituals done. That's the hardest part. I've learned to show up to life, to be present. That's not as difficult for me at this stage in my journey. The surrendering, that takes daily work. And if I don't do one of these rituals immediately, oh, well, that should have been that way. I expected this. Hmm. Yeah. I'd love for you to share any new things that you're finding or 
what you've done really well is synthesize a lot of great things from over here in health and fitness, and you put them into something cohesive. So is there things that most people might consider crazy or that things that you don't share a lot because it's weird or new age, or I don't know. I know that you're doing the work, so I'm curious if there's anything that guys might be able to benefit from. Yeah, for me, it does come down to this trifecta of on the surface seems a little contrite and I've named my business after this, you know, mind, body, spirit. But in reality, the meditation piece is for me connecting with something higher. It's honoring my ego in a way that says, please close your mouth right now. This isn't your time and your time will come soon, but we don't need you at this moment. And the body piece is the consistency of exercise and also diet. I've found that I need to be pretty specific about how I eat. And what I mean by that is, is not some restrictive diet that's no fun, but I really don't eat sugar. And I eat gluten-free, not because I'm celiac, but because it doesn't make me feel good. And it helps me stay away from a lot of unhealthy carbs. And I exercise. I lift weights three days a week. I do yoga three days a week, peppering in a hike and some other things. But they're really important because if I don't have the mindfulness, the breath work, the meditation, the eating right the exercising, it actually messes up the mind part the most. Because the mind part is what we're doing all these pieces for in order to show up and surrender. Because our mind just wants to take over. And if I ate wrong, and I'm feeling off, and I didn't get my exercise in, and I didn't do my breath work, it all compounds. Into real problems. Yeah. 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 The other day, I'll just share this before it gets too irrelevant. On that note is like, I've shared this, I think a little bit on this show, but I have had challenges being an asshole in my sleep talk. Like I just, I'm a dick dick while I'm sleeping and I'm sitting there and it usually happens when I am sleep deprived. That's like what usually triggers it. But then I'm going back and I'm trying to figure out what, and one of the things that I realized is like, oh, I've been super dehydrated also Mm. like so it's like these almost foundational basic things and just wasn't drinking any water and it's hot i mean granted i'm in southern california so our hot is not normal people hot right now but still my body is just sweating a lot more than it's used to and i'm not adjusting for that and lo and behold you start drinking a little bit more water and those foundational keystone habits that you're talking about actually make a larger impact on your world being hangry is a real thing Yeah. Yeah. But also as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, why is my body freaking out? Like it needs help. You're not taking care of it. And thus it can't take care of you and you can't take care of your family the way you want. So, you know, it's interesting. And this has to do with my previous business practices as well, too. The whole ice travel of CEO of a company, two companies for 12 years, traveled 100 plus days a year, worked late and another 100 nights a year. It was all because it was for my family. And it's like, well, did I ask my family? Oh, they didn't really want me to do that? Hmm, okay. Yeah, I didn't ask myself those questions. And it's interesting. The same thing shows up when we talk about these rituals and exercising and eating right. I don't have time. Okay, what do you need to be doing? Well, I need to be whatever it is. I need to either spend more time at work or spend more time with the kids. What is this time we're spending? Are we at our best? Because what I've found is I've sat down and talked through this with my kids or with my current partner. They'd rather have me for 20% of the time I was given, but it just be on point, really present, see them, hear them, make them feel good and share a piece of me that was really there versus distracted, hangry, not plugged in, just mentally running a million miles. They didn't really want that made me feel better because I gave them more time, but it wasn't real time. I mentioned, I don't want to give away too much. You guys need to go get the book. 
the first scene is you're getting water dumped on your head while you're asleep. And I think like like the record, I deserved it. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a whole journey, which I don't know if it necessarily starts or kicks off the journey, but that's where the book starts. And I imagine that there's been a journey since then where when you look back on that now, the whole gap gain thing, what does that look like? How have things progressed or changed? Take us to that after stage, if you will, and, and give us a little bit of hope perhaps for some of the guys. Yeah. So without walking you through everything, I mean, that's hours of conversation. That's maybe another book in itself. But the simplest explanation is this. I get asked this question a lot. What do you regret? Especially since I've candidly opened up my life, professional and personal in this book, and I speak about it all the time. And my short answer is nothing, literally nothing. And the answer I get back a lot of times is, well, that's narcissistic or you're an asshole or how could that be? For me, the answer is the essence of this journey I've been on. And that is one example. I drank every single day for probably 20 years. And it was to either socialize or numb out or just calm myself down or whatever the excuse was. I had a couple drinks, sometimes a lot more than that, every single day. Do I regret it? No. Do I choose to show up to life that way today? Absolutely not. I don't do that today. But if I hadn't gone through that, if I hadn't experienced that, I would not be the person I am today. And I look at all of life that way. I don't choose to repeat certain things. I've learned lessons from them. I choose to be different, but I don't regret it. For most of us, we can't learn until we've done it. So why have regret? Just do something different. Choose the opposite. Mm. Choose different going forward and appreciate that you were given that experience. But having regret for it, it's almost a disservice to yourself. And it really doesn't honor that gift that was given to you. Yeah, it is a gift, right? And that's that perspective, that agency thing that do we choose to be a victim? Is this something that's happening to us or for us? And I think that if we keep that choice, then we can win. That's first, though. I think that's primary, right? Is that we have that agency or perhaps it's that we remember that we have that agency. I frequently tell my son we're going through his own challenges and growing his resilience and such. And I frequently tell him, remember how strong you are. Remember how capable and resilient you are. And that, I think it's because I wish someone would have told me that. But I think that's what we got to have is that remembering that we have that agency, that ability to make those decisions. Yeah. And that's really at the core of this journey and where the power lies is we're going to make so many mistakes and mess up. But if we can just remember that it's always there, it's easier to take a breath and go, okay, this isn't the only option. I wonder what the other options look like. Brent, the book is out and it was almost just like it was the divine muses coming through and doing their work within you. But that's available now. It's available on Amazon. You mentioned that you read the Audible as well. I did. That makes it 10 times better. And also for guys or or I'd imagine gals who want to go deeper, there's going to be some cool trainings coming up as well. You want to talk a little bit about what's available? Absolutely. I'm putting together a 90 to 180 day class called the Bold 180. And it's really an extension of the book. It's built on the framework of the book as well as rituals. And it pulls the two pieces together to show what's possible. How do you show up to life in a way that you can step into these choices and ultimately find whatever you do, whether you're a musician or running a business or you're a mom or whoever you are in whatever religion that you show up to life in a bold way. And what I mean by bold is that you're strong, wild, confident, courageous, because from there, that's when you own your life. And I would love to help people find that place to make decisions from and move forward and move through their life. Mm. 
Yeah. Guys need it. It's real. We talked a lot about very micro level, right? And this is just happening in every single guy's house. And I think collectively, you can make a real, real big difference. So Brown, honor and affirm you for taking up this shield, if you will, because I know you didn't five-year vision this out. It wasn't on the bucket list of things. So I appreciate what you're doing. And I know it's made an impact in my life. And I know it's going to make an impact in a lot of guys. So guys, go get the book. And did you mention social medias or anything? I mean, the the best way to find everything that I'm working on right now is through my website, which is 3xbold.com. That's the number three, the letter X, and then bold, B-O-L-D.com. Perfect. Guys, go get linked up there, and uh, we'll put that in the show notes as well. We appreciate you, as always, for sticking with us. If we got value out of today, which I'm sure you did, we would love a a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you know a guy who could listen to this or, or needs to hear this, send it to them. And like we always say, they're probably not asking you for these. So don't wait for that guy to message you and ask for help. Just send it to them and check in on ask them if they're good. Let them know that you were thinking about them. But we appreciate you being part of the tribe, y'all. We'll see you on the next one. Later, fam. If iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. But if you're a man and you're alone or listening to this, then who sharpens you? What's going on, guys? Ted Faden here, host of the Modern Man Podcast, also founder of the Noble Knights Mastermind Group. And I'm just out here encouraging you to find your circle. Maybe you're on a personal growth journey and nobody around you understands the new mentality that you're possessing. That's okay. You can find an online community that will pour into you, will navigate your goals and navigate your obstacles, share their experiences, resources, and more. Join the Noble Knights Mastermind Group and try us out for free to tap into a community of men helping each other scale up and reach their goals. Check out themodernmanpodcast.com.